listening to She Rises, a podcast dedicated to women who are ready to stop settling and start living their lives by design. If you're ready to talk about the stuff that weighs you down and get practical advice on everything from your health, body image, spirituality, relationships, and personal growth, then you're in the right place. Hello, I'm Giovanna Capoza, your host, master coach, spiritual teacher, and mind-body expert, and I'm on a mission to unsettle women all over the world. Are you ready to rise? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of She Rises. I am your host, Giovanna Capoza. And today I'm coming at you with a topic that we've all heard about now. In fact, there are now terms and phrases in this digital era of ours that have, have you know, evolved. But it's something that we've been experiencing as women and men, actually, for probably millennia. And that is ghosted and breadcrumbed. Uh, ghosted is basically when someone just falls off the face, right? We've, we've, many of us have had this experience. Many of us have caused this experience, (laughs) um, where we just cut off contact with someone. There's no explanation. There's no reason. There's just no contact and breadcrumbed, which is probably, I would say the more toxic of the two is something that I have experienced myself and I walk women through in group sessions or my individual, uh, coaching because breadcrumbed actually is the most toxic of the two. It is where you are accepting breadcrumbs of attention, breadcrumbs of affection, breadcrumbs of love, just to keep going, just to keep it, the relationship going. And this episode's for you. I want you to know that you are worth so much more than breadcrumbs, that if you only knew your value, Um, and what you have to offer in a relationship, you would stop taking those breadcrumbs because girl, you deserve the whole loaf. Let me tell you, this episode's for you. I really hope you enjoy it. I'm speaking today with Dr. Marnie Feuerman. She is the author of Ghosted and Breadcrumbed. She's a licensed social worker and marriage and family therapist with a private practice counseling those with relationship issues. She's also trained therapist to do couples therapy and writes about love relationships, and a number uh, of things on online media sources. You can find out more about Dr. Marnie at drmarnieonline.com. And if this show resonates with you, if this topic resonates with you, and you feel like, Giovanna, I want to dive deeper into this. I want to do this work. I want to stop accepting breadcrumbs from my husband, from my partner, or from the guys I'm dating then I have a special program for you. I have a program called Love Sick to Love Healed. We will be going live with this program for eight solid weeks of amazing, intensive, deep dive work to totally transform your life and your relationships. And that goes live uh, in November. We're enrolling now. We'll have the link to this in the show notes. Um, So if that sparks you, and if this topic sparks you, and you reach the end of the show and you say, I want to do something about this, then I encourage you to go back to the show notes and find that link and let's have a conversation. Until then, enjoy this show. Take notes, take it in, share it with a friend who is being ghosted or has been ghosted and is currently accepting breadcrumbs because this show is for you. Hey, Dr. Marnie, welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. 
I am excited to have you on. I know that the She Rises audience is going to get so much from this episode. Uh, I can already feel it. I myself personally have gone through the experiences you talk about in your book, and I just resonate so much with all of your body of work. I'm excited for this conversation. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Me too. Yeah. So let's start off. I usually, with She Rises, I like to a lot of times start off with like, how did you get here? So like, how is it that you came to be this person who wrote this book and is now the expert in this. And I know we know it's always trial by fire, right? But we love to hear (laughs) the story and how you got there. Sure. Um, I mean, I would say it's been a long journey overall, but how I would say I drilled it down to knowing that I wanted to write about this topic is probably a combination of my own experiences, um, my own dating history, um, family history, different things that have contributed to the person that I am now, and then also certainly formal education, and then what I now do for a living, which is working as a therapist helping people. And so um, I got, I would say, some good data that told me that this the, the topic of the book was the right one to write about um, because I already have some content out there online and I got to see um, which articles really resonated with people, which ones were viewed a lot, shared a lot. Um, I also happen to work a lot with couples and I already work a lot with um, helping people with relationships. So uh, working with it, writing about it, kind of getting the feedback that this is what people seem to need and want. And then it felt very natural because when I reflected on my own experiences and, and my own struggles with love and dating and unhealthy relationships, it was like the perfect fit. It was almost like the planets lined up and I just knew that this was the right topic to write on. It's kind of the book that I wish I had. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) That's what I said when I read the title. I was like, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Back then, because, you know, I'm, I'm almost 50 at this point. It's really hard to say that number. Um, But back then I didn't, we didn't have uh, internet. We didn't have apps. So it's gotten a lot more confusing and um, a lot more challenging for people. It's a whole different landscape to navigate with dating that I actually think has made it more complicated. It was a little more simpler back when it was just you had to call somebody or you had to run into them and see them and uh, to talk to them. So things have changed a lot. And so I wanted to also help people as far as that goes as well, because I think it's um, it's just a whole new way that people sometimes struggle when they're trying to find the right partner. And, um, and so if I can contribute to someone making a really good choice in a partner and finding love and having a satisfactory relationship and feeling like um, they can march off into the sunset, so to speak, um, then, you know, that's really at the base of it. What I, what I really want to help people with is, is make a really good choice because I also Mm -hmm. have been on the other side seeing, you know, working with couples. I see what happens when you make the wrong choice or a bad choice, or you put up with things that you wish you didn't while you were dating, but you committed anyway. And I see the outcome and the ripple effect of somebody making a poor choice of a partner. So those things sort of came together for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, same here. Ditto. I, I, <laughs> if I could help someone make the right choice, that's why I wanted you to have be on the show 
um, so bad because I thought like this is the perfect um, day and age. And of course, you know, the book is called Ghosted and Breadcrumbed. Those are new terms. They're not really new behaviors, let's say, <laughs> but they're new right. terms in this digital age. We all know ghosting is when basically you never hear from someone ever again. Mm -hmm. And breadcrumbing, I use that term a lot, uh, you know, just sort of accepting breadcrumbs from someone and never really getting their whole heart or their whole self and all, all kinds of iterations. And I wonder... Um, you know, I, I, what I have found with the women I work with and with myself as well, we kind of like our template for what to look for in a healthy relationship, like those, those building blocks, those things that it's like, like now I can say trial and error. I know what they are, but way back when we didn't know what those were. And without knowing that it's really hard to know what to look for. So can you share with us what are some of these healthy building blocks that we should be looking for and striving for? Yeah, absolutely. And luckily, the science has changed and we know a little bit more about what to look for and what makes a healthy relationship and why certain couples thrive and others are disasters. And so we've got a lot of good information um, for that. And so ultimately, what I really want people to understand is that they, they have an an overwhelming feeling of safety and security with a person. They feel like they can count on the person. There's a felt sense of trust. Um, the person is responsive to you. Doesn't mean that they're not going to miss the cues once in a while, but if they do, there's repair. They know how to get back on track and they've already, they're already sending the message to you that you're important enough to get back on track. That if I do something wrong, uh, I want to circle back to you. I want to figure this out. Uh, and I, and I want us together to make this work. Um, and so, I mean, in essence, it's kind of like having a, a friendship. Like if you think of your best friend, like your best girlfriend, it would be like your best friend, but also there's the romantic piece. Um, and, and there's a, a sexual, uh, a sexual part, there's physical intimacy. So there's, there's that part as well, but that you also feel the way you probably feel about your friends. Like we can really count on each other. So yeah. ultimately I would say that's probably the foundation of that healthy relationship. I love that you brought the science into it as well. Cause one of the key factors in my healing was learning about attachment theory and things of that nature. And it used to be like, you know, we wanted to go so far away from codependence because that was an ugly, dirty word. Right. And then we, and then, you know, dependency was also awful and there's all these labels and things and ways that we judged it. And then we went, I think, to a scale of trying to be too independent in the relationship, which doesn't foster a bond anyway. And so when I started learning about attachment theory and learning my style and learning this very key piece, which you just mentioned, which is safe safety in the relationship, it was a breath of fresh air for me. I didn't even know that I could ask for that. I didn't even know that I could hold out for that. I didn't even know that that was like what I was looking for. And that was the very thing. So I love that you just mentioned that because that, that was huge for me. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that, that if you really drill it down and if I ask someone that question, like if they're coming to me and they're talking about just these negative experiences with a partner and they'll say things like, but I love him. Um, but I'll say, do you feel safe and secure, emotionally safe and secure? I mean, certainly we know what it like, what it's like to feel um, physically threatened, but emotionally sometimes can be trickier. And if the answer is no, 
Um, I'm not sure I would necessarily define that as love because I think if you are saying you feel loved by somebody, you should in the same breath be able to say, I feel safe and secure with this person as well. Hmm. Um, so it's like you said, we've gone through a lot of iterations of, um, dependency versus independence and what it's supposed to look like. And there has been some boomeranging like you described. And so we're really starting to to recognize a definition of um, healthy dependency, um, not not codependency, but but you can have needs. Um, you can even have issues and problems. Like you're a real human being, but if it's extremely out of balance, like if you have a very healthy person who feels maybe um, like they're with an emotional vampire or someone that just completely drains them because of all their issues and problems and maybe vices, addictions that I think we can, we can probably say is to some degree, you know, codependency for sure. Um, but that's not the same thing as two people relying on and counting on each other in a mutual way and realizing we're better together, that we are, we have a harder time when we're apart and we try to do these things by ourselves. And that dependency flows back and forth. And sometimes you need them more than they need you. And sometimes they need you more than you need them. But you feel like there's a good flow back and forth. And I love that. You that. Both, good. And that you both can like bring each other uh, your your needs and ask for them to be met. And I love that you brought up needs because there was a time, actually I just gave a speech recently and I said one of the things I learned was that having needs does not make you needy. And this is a thing that so many women are afraid to be labeled as, is like, oh, you're too needy. And, you know, you mentioned there's, there's there's the nth degree of that where maybe there is, you know, skating into codependency and there's, you know, emotional vampirism and and unhealthy sort of stuff. And I mean, you can even get into pathology Mm -hmm. around that. But then there is the, the very, very real, everyday, common woman who has needs who will often deny herself asking for those to be met because she has a fear that she's going to be labeled or label herself even as needy. And I'm so glad that you brought that into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think sometimes it, you know, being, having needs does get a bad rap and that there, and sometimes a a woman is told and a man can be told that too. Um, you know, you're too needy, you're too needy. And so I think people can get very confused and think, you know, am I too needy? Am I supposed to shove down and push down this yearning, this longing I have for something? Um, and it could be something like, um, I just, want to come home and, you know, at the end of our days, we talk to each other and we share our, you know, our ups and our downs and what happened during the day. And you could have a partner that says, what? Like, you're, you're so needy. I don't need to talk to you like that. Come on. You, you, you just know I shouldn't have to share. And, and so then that woman gets the message that, you know, you asking for that Mm. is wrong. Essentially you asking for connection is wrong or bad. Um, and it could be that the person who's responding in that way just maybe isn't sure how to do that. You know, maybe they don't know how to dig deep and express themselves and express themselves more on a feeling level, um, and let someone in. So, you know, certain blocks can come up around that. And so it's easy to maybe criticize someone and say, you're too needy. Um, and then the person's confused about, you know, is, is this a need 
that is acceptable or is this a need that I'm at, I really am asking too much and I need to push it down and not, uh, and not ask for so much. And so we can, it can get into some very, uh, rough waters Mm -hmm. (laughs) around that kind of thing. And it is, you know, it's a muscle of like really, um, determining and discerning what you just said, right? Because, you know, we have to also get to a place within ourselves, I think, where we're really honoring that, like you said, I have this need or this yearning and there's nothing wrong with the desire to have it met. And there's nothing wrong with me for wanting that. And then also being, you know, emotionally intelligent enough to differentiate that from, being, you know, maybe asking for too much, like you said, or wanting the other person to sort of fill a gap that you should be filling for yourself. And it's this very, um, you know, I call it a muscle that you need to build, right? It's a fine line between the two things. Um, but you brought up something else that was really interesting to me. It's probably the like gajillion dollar question that (laughs) I used to ask myself and before I found the answer for me. Um, but I'm so curious to hear what your answer is because I hear women ask this all the time, which is, why are so many men emotionally unavailable? <laughs> <laughs> right. That is a good question. And certainly, you know, a lot of the book it talks about that and answers that. And you had even mentioned attachment. Um, sometimes it's that's a piece that someone develops uh, an avoidant attachment style. So um, maybe they haven't learned that it's acceptable to um to ask for help, um, to express themselves on an emotional level. You know, I think we tend to do a disservice to men in the way that we raise them. Hopefully that's starting to change. I think, again, we have new information and knowledge here, but, um, I think we, we tend to raise men to be more task oriented, achievement oriented. They're supposed to be providers. They're supposed to show strength. Um, and we, want, we sort of, um, minimize or poo poo their, um, them emotionally. You know, if, if a boy starts to cry, it's, it's easy for like a parent to just say, you know, big boys don't cry. Oh, suck it up. Or, you know, just, just solve the issue, just go to fixing it. Um, so I think that they're often, they're born maybe with the same capacity women are, but I think the family system, society sometimes constricts that. And I think, the idea of being vulnerable is often often becomes associated for for the men with weakness or dependency or some other negative word, and women are it's completely acceptable to be uh, relational, to go to those emotional places. We're connectors. Um, we tend to care about the relationship more than we care about competition. We'll look to get along more with people. We see, you know, others as like allies as opposed to a threat. Um, So I just think in the way that we're socialized is a big piece of it. And, um, and I think we're, we're starting to at least turn the corner and realize we're not helping, we're not helping men by doing that. We now have this term, you know, toxic masculinity. And I think that's sort of uh, in part, what we're talking about. Also, we know men don't live as long as women. And I think a part of that is that we, when we're struggling, we go to our friends, we talk, we share, we open up, we cry on other people's shoulders. And I think that's a piece of what helps us live longer. And then we also know that um, when it comes to the divorce rate, women are, I think the number is like two thirds. So two thirds of divorces are filed by women. 
So women are leaving these men. um, And part of the reason they're leaving is they feel disconnected. They don't feel heard or um, important. And so they at some point start to check out and detach or realize, you know, when I want to connect with my, with my guy, you know, I just get a wall or my feelings get dismissed or they get minimized or he just wants to fix it. I don't want him to fix. I just want him to be here with me, uh, empathize. Uh, and so I think we're starting to see the outcome of that. And, and luckily, um, making some changes, I think, in what we do. And there, hopefully there'll be a new generation where we're raising men differently. And so that, you know, those things don't end up happening so much. Here, here. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything you just said. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a societal way that, you know, men have been raised and you mentioned the avoidant attachment style, which is me. I mean, women are, can be avoidant as well, but there's mostly men that are exhibiting that. And so one of the things for me that I, when I dove into that beyond everything you just said there, which was so juicy and true was I had to look at, there was areas of me that I was fearing vulnerability and I was being emotionally unavailable as well. So there was, it was kind of that whole like pointing your finger out there and, you know, the three, ping- three fingers pointing back. And so what do you find in terms of women and nowadays, especially given that we have to live, you know, in the patriarchy, we've had to for obviously centuries um, and the way we've adapted and how we are in terms of our vulnerability and how that affects or presents in a relationship? Um. Well, you know, I, I think, I think vulnerability, like I would, I would love for people to see that as an asset, that that's something Mm -hmm. good, that that is something that we, that's the way in which we connect. And that's, that's the way that I think we, um, are able to share when, like, when we worry about these things, like when we think, um, you know, is, is someone going to be there for me? Is there somebody that I can count on? Um, if we just, push it down and we just want to depend on ourselves and not express that we're not going to experience, I think the depth of connectedness that we can with anybody. So I think it's good to do that with, um, you know, people have to earn your trust. Certainly it's, you don't just like immediately, you know, as soon as you meet somebody kind of vomit all, all of this stuff at them. But I think if somebody's yeah, earned, that's not know, vulnerability, that's emotional no, that's vomiting. Not, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, being vulnerable is I feel like we've developed enough of a level of trust because you've been, you've shown up, you've been present. Um, you've been responsive to me that I'm pushing myself a little further and a little further. So I'm going a bit deeper. I'm sharing my deeper fears with somebody, or I'm sharing them when I feel triggered. So when something comes up, I'm tuning into that and I'm, and I'm recognizing, okay, maybe this is my old wound, you know, uh, from my history coming up, but I don't just keep it to myself. I'm able to bring it to somebody. Um, hopefully, you know, if it's, if it's your romantic partner, that's, that's ideal because that's how you, uh, build that sense of interdependency where we can both count on each other and we can both bring that to each other when we're, um, when not all that kind of comes for us, we have somebody we can turn to, to share it with, and we're not holding it alone and by ourselves or feeling that we just have to cope and deal with it ourselves. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so much in there. I, for me, it was such a big, um, awakening when I was able to 
simultaneously, you know, learn to be more vulnerable and in the, you know, in the correct setting with the correct people, obviously, when the, like you said, the trust has been earned. And then in my fostering that within the relationship, you know, it, it just, it was a practice and it didn't happen all the time with all the, you know, depends on the person, but it just made such mm -hmm. a, just leaps and bounds in terms of my relationship now with my honey. So, um, you talk about oh, something, good. yeah, <laughs> you talk about something in your book, a term that I had never heard before and it's, and I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but lim limerence, is that right? Yes, you're saying that right. <laughs> Tell us what that is. Yeah, I, I love that word. <laughs> um, limerence is what we also call uh, at times lust or infatuation. And that's the very early stages of a romantic relationship. When you feel, you know, all the endorphins are going, all the chemicals are swirling. Um, you feel you feel essentially like you're on drugs. It's a very similar type of feeling and it's a similar type of physiological response. Um, and, you know, we all kind of remember that just depending on what stage you are uh, in, in your relationship. But at least like I know I can even reflect back on it myself. I've been married a long time now, but there's nothing like that beginning, you know, those early stages. And um, sometimes we label it, we'll call it love, but I don't think we know that it's love yet. And I think if we maybe more properly put it in its context that we know that, you know, I'm in this limerence phase or this lust phase, um, that I still need to see if this matures or evolves into love. I still need to, to see if, um, we have the building blocks that we talked about earlier on in this conversation, you know, does this person respond? Do they, you know, in a theor theoretical way, do they come when I call? Are they there for me? Are they consistent? Can I count on them? Have they been honest and transparent? Um, I think when we can move into that area, and I wouldn't say there's like a perfect demarcation, like, okay, you went from limberance to love, you know, but it's, but it's a slow, soft evolution into that area. And that if we get to love, then that's wonderful. And that's fantastic. Um, but I think so a lot can go wrong if we're basing our decisions that we're making and we're on the relationship and we're in the limerence phase. And so it may keep us trying harder. It may keep us twisting ourselves into pretzels to fit what this person wants, or we're, we obsess, we fantasize about the relationship, but the reality tells us, okay, it's not happening. I have these feelings and the feelings are so overwhelmingly strong Yet at the same time, I want to keep my rational, reasonable part of my brain online so that I can make a good decision, so that I can also take into consideration my feelings, but that I also need my thoughts and my logic and my reason that's going to tell me this is someone I should stay with and keep going with because we're going in the right direction because the other ingredients are, are I'm seeing those. Or it's not happening and I have to find a way to maybe remove myself from this relationship because I'm not getting what I need or we're not building trust. It's not happening. That leads me to um, talking about addiction. And so the, the memoir that I'm writing right now is called Love Sick, uh, Confessions mm -hmm. of a Love Junkie. And I remember cool. when I first heard the term love addiction, 
I was like, get out. I'm like, that's not a thing, you know? And, and if it is, I certainly don't have it because I'm not Glenn Close, you know, I'm not boiling bunnies, right? Like I was taking it to its like extreme pathological place. And yet there is this thing that we call love addiction. And you mentioned endorphins and all the hormones and oxytocin and all those things that happen when you meet someone. Can you tell us a little bit about, you talk about in your book about being addicted to spending time with someone. I believe you can get addicted to all manner of stuff around relationship, like getting attention from men and just being with the wrong person. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Because if there's someone listening right now, um, I think it would be great to hear what the nuances of that looks like as opposed to, you know, Glenn Close boiling bunnies in fatal attraction. Because there's a lot of really healthy, high-functioning women that I would label as lovesick. Although they wouldn't label themselves as that, but I would give them that label and I wouldn't have given myself that label in the past either. So I wonder if you could speak to the nuances of how that shows up for people. Sure. Um, I think people become addicted to the feeling. So if you think about using a drug or drinking or something else that makes you feel that euphoric feeling or the high Um, that can become addictive. So if you spend time with that person, and especially if we're adding sex into it, um, it it can become like a tremendously high euphoric feeling for somebody. Um, I think where the addictive piece comes in is when you feel that you're depending on that person to provide you that feeling. So you may notice when you're with them, everything is just amazing, perfect, wonderful, and great. And then when you're not with them, you might feel sad, lonely, depressed, you can't concentrate. Um, And so I would want people to pay attention more to the feelings they have with the person and the feelings they have without. And are your moods um, and your value of how you see yourself, is it dependent on this other person? Is it dependent on their attention? Is it dependent on the feedback loop uh, that they're providing you? Um, Or are you, you know, in balance? Do you have a lot of things that make you feel good? But if, but again, if it's, you know, if, if it's really out of balance, and you're finding that when you feel best is only when you're with that person, then I would say, you know, it, it's problematic. And this could exist on a continuum. We can certainly have extremes of it, like the boiling the bunny extreme. (laughs) We don't want it to get there. (laughs) Or we can have somebody who's just, um, you know, doesn't really want to go out and get out of bed and they're mopey. And and then as soon as the person calls and says, let's get together, they're like racing out the door feeling great and wonderful. You know, so people are just going to want to pay attention to the fluctuation of the feelings and, um, and certainly in, which I talk about in the book too, our relationships with when I, where there's an affair partner with somebody married. Um, I think even the secrecy of that type of a situation can also contribute to the addictive process as well when it comes to, um, like a love addiction type of a Mm. thing. Yeah. Awesome. So as we wrap up, if there's one message you had to give to that one woman listening who's thinking, oh my God, I've had such a crappy past. I've, you know, I've dated men after men, you know, either I've left or they've left me and it's just been horrible. Like is like, what advice would you give them? Can they, can they have hope here? Is there, is there hope for them? (laughs) (laughs) There's always hope, right? (laughs) I think that 
those women should know that we've really come a long way in understanding these things and looking at love through more of a scientific lens. There's a lot of good information out there and good help, um, whether it's a self-help book or going to therapy and doing that kind of work or getting some coaching, just depending on, again, how, you know, how much you're struggling, um, that I, I think there's, there's opportunity for a tremendous amount of growth in understanding maybe how your past, how your, your family history, how even your relationship history, um, has impacted you. And you can really make these connections and make really positive changes so that you are able to, um, create a healthy relationship and make a healthy choice in a partner. Um, and that I absolutely feel that, um, that it's, it's within your reach. It's possible. And I really want women to feel empowered, uh, to do that. And, um, and, and, you know, and set those goals, set a goal for themselves to do that and to, and to get X, I guess, outside help, you know, maybe they just can't do it themselves. And sometimes in order to develop that self-awareness, we need a therapist or a coach or friends. We need people to give us that information. Uh, and so it's a great opportunity to do that. Oh, it's just well said. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I concur. You know, there is hope and you are lovable and, um, you know, you do, you do deserve to be in relationship. You know, I think we're, I think we're meant to be in relationship. So I love that you just gave us that little bit of hope. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, uh, Dr. Marnie, and for being on the show and uh, for your beautiful book. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was great to chat to, with you about this. I love talking about this topic, obviously. Yeah, me too. I know. I could talk about yeah. it forever. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was our show with Dr. Marnie. I had such a blast recording that and talking about these issues. And as you can see, we just scratched the surface about attachment and different kinds of attachment and relationships and how to navigate them and how to find your value and your worth and, and what that looks like. And it certainly, we know it doesn't look like accepting breadcrumbs, but there you have it. That's the show for today. And again, I want to reiterate what I mentioned at the top of the show. I want to invite you, if this is you, if the show resonated with you, if you know someone that needs to do this work, then I want to invite you to go to javanacaposa.com and find the link under work with me for Love Sick to Love Healed. It's an eight-week exclusive intensive program that I made just for you, uh, where I will walk you through each week the different uh, segments of our curriculum that will help you really transform this to number one, see that it is not your fault, and number two, to get to the other side so that you can wake up one day and say, you would be so lucky to be in a relationship with me. And you know what? If you're not cutting the mustard, then I'm cutting out. So that's what I want you to feel like at the end of that program. And I've created it specifically for you. So if that does pique your interest, I want to invite you to come on over. The link is in the show notes. And let's have a conversation. If you're not quite sure if you're a fit, we're going to have a conversation and we're going to see what will best fit your unique experience and situation. And we'll go from there. Thank you so much for tuning in and 